Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents. Frank Flake here, your host today of the Sophisticated Property Investment Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to show you how a property that we've just bought, which I think most people would convert into a six-bedroom HMO, we've actually worked out how to convert it into 10 lettable rooms all within the rules all really just by being knowledgeable of the rules and knowing how the system works so in this episode i'm going to explain to you how you can basically take a property that would break even on five lettable rooms so it would be profitable on six but not massively so and take that to 10 lettable rooms which is actually a five-fold increase in profitability massive because now we've got five rooms earning us profit rather than just the one on a six bed. So in this episode, that's what I'm going to talk you through, how we did this just a few days ago. And I think the majority of investors would have turned it into a six bedroom HMO because it's in a non-Article 4 area, which means that permitted development rights are unaffected. So in some areas, permitted development rights are removed from properties and that's done by an article 4 directive so you'll know in a uh, you might may know in a lot of university towns you can't take a large house and turn it into a student HMO house of multiple occupancy because the permitted development rights where you can do that across the whole country you can take a uh, C3 house which is a residential dwelling and turn it into a C4 house of multiple occupancy up to six sharing people or six households without applying for planning permission. And it's really important when you're playing chess like this to recognize that you've got licensing, you've got planning and you've got building control and you have to keep the three separate and understand the order in which you're doing things and the order in which these different entities are going to be involved in the process. So most people would have turned this into a six bedroom HMO because I had my architect there and I had my planning consultant who used to be the enforcement officer for the planning department in this particular area. And so we had the two of them to advise us plus myself and my JV partner. In fact, my JV partner brought the uh, planning um, consultant along. New relationship for, for me, but I'm always keen to get another expert opinion and then we had our builder there as well as uh, myself and my JV partner so it's quite a large meeting actually at this property and the objective of the meeting was to work out how many lettable rooms how many bedrooms we could get in the property in order to maximize the return on investment so it's not always about cramming as many rooms in as possible but it is about maximizing your return so we've already bought the property the property will be profitable on six lettable rooms and that's really important that's the cake regular listeners will know that we build the cake and that's the basic deal that works really well and then the layers of icing that you add on to the cake they make it sweeter and sweeter a better and better deal so it doesn't work on a single ast so that isn't the cake it works on a six bed hmo which we knew we could do because we didn't need planning permission to go from a single c3 dwelling to a multiple occupancy c4 dwelling so we knew on planning we were good planning is the only thing that can really trip you up because licensing is only to do with health and safety. So if you know the rules, you can configure the property to stay within the rules. The 
building control is also just a set of basically health and safety rules as well. So you can, if you know building controls regulations, you know that you can sort that, uh, you can configure the property and do the works to that standard and that you will be granted a um, building control sign off. So those are the three elements. We had a six bedroom HMO where I think most people would have gone for that. But we've actually worked out how we can, with a high degree of certainty in all of those people's uh, opinions, professional opinions, we can get 10 lettable rooms. Now, the difference in profit between six and 10 lettable rooms is massive because you've still got the same property and you've still got the same lending on that property. So it's really, really lucrative to get the extra four bedrooms into that, that property because in this part of the world, those rooms will let for quite a lot of money and four of them letting at that weekly rate will make a really big difference to our profitability and our return on investment. So how do you go from six bedrooms to 10? The first thing to work out is how much do your rooms rent for? And when I say how much do your rooms rent for, how much do your sharing HMO bedrooms rent for? So that is a bedroom with an ensuite bathroom. Well, actually, firstly, how much does a bedroom with a shared bathroom and a shared kitchen rent for? That's the first number for you to know then you need to know how much a bedroom with a ensuite and a shared kitchen rents for then you need to know how much a bed sit which is self-contained has a ensuite kitchen area lounge area bedroom area can all be open plan but basically is the smallest self-contained unit you can have a one bedroom flat and a two bedroom flat you really need to know what your monthly or weekly rentals and all of those are and then you need to look at the layout of the property and this is the bit i love where you just walk around the property and then you walk around it again and then you walk around it again and you start measuring walls and you start working out what can fit where and the hardest thing you can put walls in all kinds of places you can split windows and this is where knowing building regulations is really important so you have minimum square meterages of bedrooms if you're going into the eaves or the loft you have minimum heights every bedroom needs to have a window an opening window for fresh air so you need to make sure that's available you need to ensure that wherever you're going to put an ensuite bathroom you have access to a soil pipe to get rid of the toilet waste i with a passion detest macerators so we don't put macerators in that's a macerator is a toilet that basically has a load of blades in it and it chops up all the waste and then pumps it under pressure and what that means is it doesn't need a fall so it can actually pump it horizontally um, it may even be able to pump it uh, uphill but as you can imagine that is fraught with difficulty over the years of letting a property. So they just break basically and you have to replace them. And when they break, you have to replace them quickly and they're not so cheap and they need servicing. And it's just a, a real no-no compared to a normal toilet. So I, I will do everything I possibly can not to put macerators in. So that leaves you really with looking at the property and going, right, where are the soil pipes? So as we walk around this property, we're working out where the shared kitchens will be, where the en-suites and the bathrooms will be, and where the bedrooms will go. And we're thinking about building regulations. So how wide doorways need to be, how wide staircases need to be, 
how people can access the kitchen without going outside because when you're doing that many bedrooms that's that could be a bit tricky how people are going to maintain private access to their bathrooms if possible the house had already got it's obviously a large house had already got two bathrooms it already had two bathrooms so we're basically adding in another six and really it's it's that simple where are the en suites going where are the bedrooms going to be where's the kitchen going to be and that that was it now the first question i asked the planning consultant was how likely do you think it is that we will get planning for a seven bed plus HMO and she was very clear she said not at all I don't think you'll get planning for a seven bed HMO here which is really useful information there's no point disagreeing with her she's the expert she's been the planning enforcement officer in this area she knows that we're going to get turned down for a what's called a sui generis sui generis planning application which is any hmo above six bedrooms and of course we want to get to 10 so we can't apply for seven or more that's the first thing the second thing i asked was if we created a two-bedroom flat at the top of this property now it's a three-story property that's gone into the eaves so my thinking was we could get six bedrooms on the ground floor and the first floor and then the second floor we could turn that into a two-bedroom uh, flat and the property had two staircases bizarrely so that lent itself really well to giving the top two-bedroom flat a private entrance right from the ground floor and she said yeah I think you'll get that I think we could apply for a top floor two-bedroom flat so all of a sudden we've got a two-bedroom upstairs flat and the six bedroom HMO. Now you have to do these in the right order and I'll come on to that in a minute. But then we looked at the garage. Now the garage is huge. It will easily create a lounge, kitchen, bathroom and two bedrooms. It's a really big garage. It's single story but has a peaked roof. So really nice peaked roof. So my idea is to actually convert this a bit like you would a barn conversion and um, have the eaves open and nice gable end windows etc because you can't take the roof up because it's in the back garden obviously and it overlooks neighbors etc so my third question to her was what's the chances of us getting residential use for that if we put in a planning application and she said really slim really really low I don't think you're going to get uh, planning permission for that, largely because it's on a floodplain. She said they don't want more living accommodation on on the ground floor because it's going to get damaged by flood water, which is really inf interesting information. So we've got six bedroom HMO where we can apply for the um, flat on the second floor and that gives us eight lettable rooms. And then we've got this huge garage that is largely non-income generating for us because there's already parking for probably eight cars around this property. So everyone's going to have parking spaces anyway. So, okay, maybe you could charge someone £30 a, a month for this um, garage, but that's nowhere near what we can get for it if we turn it into a two-bedroom flat. Basically, everyone was ready. The, the the two professionals were ready to accept that we couldn't use that as residential use. But what I asked was how? How can we use it as residential use? And I was I was chatting to uh, Mark Homer from Progressive Property recently, and he, he and I were talking about 
sweating assets and he's looking at some of his properties at the moment and looking at how he can raise the monetization of, of those properties. And and I love that kind of thinking because it, it's very cheap to increase the income and profitability of assets you already have. A lot of people focus on buying more assets, but buying a new asset is really expensive. It takes loads of time. You have to raise finance generally. You have to pay a lot of money for the asset compared to if you've already got an asset and you can add revenue to it, then that's that's what we mean by sweating the asset. And that's what we're doing here. So we've got an eight lettable room property that's going to be really profitable because it breaks even on five. And we're now looking at sweating it a bit more, getting the asset to work harder for us. So my question was, how? How can we turn this garage legally? Obviously, I do everything within the rules, legally turn it into a two bedroom flat. Well, it's all about playing chess. It's about taking one move and then another move and then another move. So I asked under what circumstances we would be allowed to convert. Now we don't need it as a standalone bungalow. We're not trying to, that might be a lovely bonus later on, but for now we just want to be allowed to rent it out to someone who wants to uh, to rent it as a, as a flat. So we can keep it on the same title, we don't need planning permission for a bungalow. We just need planning permission to use it for residential use. So what I asked the guys was if I wanted to use it as an office, you know, like a garden office, you know how people convert their garages or put cabins in the garden and stuff. Would I be allowed to? They said if it was ancillary use to the, the house, then yet yes, you would. Under what circumstances would this garage be allowed to be converted into ancillary use? You know, if, it, if we wanted to turn it into a granny flat for my my grandparents or something, how, how would that work? And what they said was, the architect and the planning consultant was, well, it's very different is if the garage is detached. But if it was an, an attached garage to the house, then we'd have no problem. You just knock through into it and you're allowed to create an office, you're allowed to create a bedroom, you're allowed to create a kitchen, a bathroom, etc. so long as it remains connected. And I said, oh, okay, so what if we connect the garage to the house? And so we went outside and we looked at it. Now the garage is set to the side of the property. It's only about a meter from the property sideways, but it's 4.2 meters back from the property. So it's almost on a diagonal. So it's set right back in the back garden, about a meter to the side and about 4.2 meters back, which is a real shame because you're allowed to extend a property backwards. Now we want to do this with the minimum of planning applications. That's really, really important because if we have to start putting planning applications in to join the garage to the house, they're going to work out what we're doing. They're likely to say no. Every planning application could easily take a year and all of a sudden it's it's a really complicated process that's out of our control. That's the trouble. So we're doing our best here to keep the entire process really slick and in our control. So what we worked out was we can't take the house back. We, so we're only looking at joining the house to the garage with a one meter wide corridor. There's no rules about the fact that the, you know, the entire length of the garage needs to be attached or anything like that. There's nothing like that. Um, but neither is there a condition about what 
the building materials of the joining corridor needs to be. So we're going to do that quite cheaply just to tick the box that it's joined. But we can't go backwards more than four meters under permitted development, and it's 4.2 meters, which is a real shame. But what you can do is you can extend sideways from a house up to half the width of the house under permitted development. And we only have to go a meter sideways. So what we're doing is we're gonna extend the house by one square meter sideways, and then we're gonna bring the garage forward, which we can do under permitted development. You're allowed to extend the garage forwards under permitted development by 4.2 meters. So now we've got a corridor, 4.2 meters long and one meter wide. Now we've got a corridor that basically connects the house to the garage with a door in the middle and obviously that door opens. So we've managed to connect the garage to the house with no planning application required. So completely under permitted development. And that's really important because if you're about to do something under permitted development, you can ask for or apply for a certificate of lawful development, which is basically, I'm about to do this under permitted development, but I'd like a certificate from you to confirm that I'm allowed to. And that's really important if you're gonna do something now that's gonna be really important to your planning application later, and this is really gonna be important. And the great thing about certificate of lawful development, certificate of lawful use, can't remember what the which one it is now, I think it's a lawful development certificate, that takes 28 days. So we can apply for that now, and then we'll uh, we'll have that ASAP. We can then connect the garage to the house, and then we can start using the house as living accommodation. We can then start using the garage as living accommodation, which will be fantastic because then we've got our 10 lettable rooms up and running. Now, the planning application is interesting because we don't really want those people connected to the house and it messes up our bedrooms in the house. So what we're then going to do is we're going to apply for planning permission to knock down the corridor and disconnect the garage from the house, which is so funny because we've only put that in in order to be able to use it as living accommodation. But we can't see, the professionals can't see any grounds for them turning down, knocking down that corridor because people are already living in the garage. Obviously, it won't be a garage then. It'll be a beautiful two-bedroom flat. But they can't object on the basis of flood because, well, people are already in there. So they're not granting permission for anyone to live there. All they're saying is, and we, <laughs> I said to the guys, let's build it out of corrugated iron or something horrible. So we can say, look, it really isn't in keeping with the property. We regret putting it up. We want to take it down now. And that will give us a detached two-bedroom flat that we can then let out. Now, that's how we're going to get our 10 lettable rooms. It's going to be two two-bedroom flats plus six-bedroom HMO. But the order in which we do this is really important. There's no way we'll get ancillary use of the garage if it's a six-bedroom HMO. Because what is the use ancillary to? It has to be ancillary to the main house. So what we mustn't do is start using the house as a six bed HMO before we've got permission to use the garage for living accommodation. It's about a 12 week refurb to put all the bathrooms in, sort all the bedrooms out and get the six bed HMO ready. So what we're going to do is we're going to put in the certificate of lawful development for the connecting of the garage. 
on day one. We're going to then crack on with the works because also you can't wait a couple of years to get planning permission and then do the works. We need to occupy this property and get it working ASAP. We've just bought it. We've got finance on it, etc. So the first move, the first chess move is getting the certificate to connect the garage to the house. The second, and whilst we're waiting on that 28 days, we're doing all the works for the HMO. Then once we've got that, we can occupy the HMO, but we can also then occupy the garage. So we'll have eight lettable rooms as quickly as we can do the works. Then we'll apply for planning permission to knock down the connecting corridor. And that could take a year, two years. They just really take their sweet time at the moment, the planners. And then we'll apply for planning permission simultaneously, actually, to knock down the connecting corridor to the garage and planning permission for the two bedroom flat upstairs. Because by that time, the whole HMO is all sorted. We've got all those rooms let We've got the two bedroom flat in the garage. We've got the six bedroom HMO all let. And it's then a very simple, well, there's all this accommodation up here. We retrospectively are applying for planning permission for this flat. Planning's interesting. It's a civil matter, not criminal, compared to the licensing. So licensing is criminal. You must apply for your license. So your, your six bedroom HMO license before you start letting the six bedroom HMO. So as soon as you go above two households, so you can have two people move into HMO, but before the third moves in, you need to have applied for your license. That's really, really important. But once you've applied for your license, you don't have to wait for it to be granted. They can take as long as they want to grant the license. You can have your six people in there. So applying for the license in advance is really important. But applying for planning permission for the two bedroom flat in the top of the house in the eaves, that can be done retrospectively. So as soon as that those works are finished and we're gonna do the six bed HMO works, then we're gonna do the two bed garage flat, then we're gonna do the works on the top flat, but we're actually going to move people into that and retrospectively apply for planning permission. Now, the reason for that is if they then take a couple of years to say yes or no, we're receiving income the whole time. If in the unlikely event they turn us down for that planning, we can appeal that planning decision, which will take probably best part of another year. So potentially we'd have two or three years of income before in the absolute worst case scenario. Now we're expecting for them to say yes and grant us planning permission. But if they, in the really slim chance, turn us down for planning permission, what we've worked out is that that flat would actually join quite neatly with one bedroom downstairs and become a three bedroom flat. But it wouldn't be a three bedroom flat. It would be the sixth household in the six bed HMO. And that's really important to recognize that they couldn't then stop us renting that three bedroom flat. Now we wouldn't get as much for a three bedroom flat as we would for a two bedroom flat and a single room. That is more profitable. That's why we're doing it that way. But if they say no to the two bedroom flat, then we can join it with a bedroom and it will still be more profitable than the single bedroom, you know, cause you could have a family living in there 
and we can still make it self-contained, but you'd leave one joining door, can still have a kitchen in it, can still have a separate bathroom, but we would still leave a joining door to the HMO so that it's still part of the HMO. And there's nothing they can do about that. Licensing can't do anything, planning can't do anything. It is a foregone conclusion. And that is where this might sound like you know, well, we're hoping to get this and we're hoping to get this. Remember, most people would settle for a six-bedroom HMO and the w absolute worst-case scenario here is we end up with a five-bedroom HMO plus a three-bedroom flat joined to the HMO. So that's eight lettable rooms. And we, for some reason that we can't currently foresee, we can't get the garage and there's something that prohibits us from doing the garage but we can't see anything at the moment that's going to stop us doing that if we do things in the right order so we will end up with hopefully a licensed six-bedroom hmo and then two two-bedroom flats which will be incredibly lucrative for us quite a lot of work that's probably six months of work in total maybe even a bit longer actually three 12 weeks and probably five weeks 17 weeks and then probably another, yeah, probably six months work, maybe seven months work, 26, 27 weeks from uh, just totting that up in my head. But boy, is that sweating that asset. And the profitability on that is really, really high. We're, we're talking multiples of the six bedroom HMO, which is fantastic. Layers of icing on the cake. We could potentially split title and have that on three separate titles later on. We could apply for planning permission to split the garage off as a self-contained bungalow, two-bedroom bungalow later on. There's a big enough plot for that to become its own dwelling. That would add, oh, a lot of money. That would add six figures onto the um, value of the entire development because now you've got a separate dwelling. The upstairs flat, once we get planning permission for that, we can then finance that as a single dwelling so we'd get more finance out of it we can finance the garage if we get planning permission for that and sell both those flats off separately if we chose to or keep them and and run them as basically three different properties if we so choose and that might take three years five years ten years but it doesn't really matter because the whole time we're getting the 10 lettable room income from this property and the difference in ROI is through the roof that means that we're getting all of our money back in months rather than years it really really is quite remarkable when you play chess effectively and to be really clear we've bought the property so that's a done deal but this is conjecture this is projecting forward this is working out the game plan there's no guarantee there never is a guarantee that we're going to get everything we want or that it's going to go in the order that we want it in that's never guaranteed but what i'm sharing with you is the thought process and the practical process of doing this we're already getting the property drawn up with the current layout and then the couple of variations we've got on the proposed layout to get the 10 lettable rooms and we're already compiling our certificate of um, lawful development application. So those 28 days can start ticking away. Guys, I hope this has encouraged you, if I'm honest, to sweat your assets, to have a look at your properties and work out what you can do 
to them in order to really maximize the return on investment. If you have questions, don't hesitate to get in touch. If you would like us to help you to sweat your assets or to improve your next purchase or indeed properties you already own, then don't hesitate to get in touch. We would love to help you. You can reach me on f.fleg at ethicalpropertypartners.com. f.fleg at ethicalpropertypartners.com. I would love to help you with your property challenges, your property portfolio growth and expansion. It's what I love doing. Until next time, happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.